We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Good afternoon, it's Wednesday, so it's Woman to Woman show here on Community Radio Kilkenny City. And you are tuned in and listening to me, Roshan Leclerc, here on the Woman to Woman show. A huge thank you to my colleague Don Devlin for keeping you company this afternoon between... Uh, for uh, between three, uh, two and four today, I'm getting all mixed up with all this COVID and the times. So excuse me for that. Um, October is Menopause and Cancer Awareness Month, and in the last Wednesday in September, we spoke to Rita Birmingham from the Midlife Women's Rock. Uh, project and cafe and to Kilkenny's uh, very own Catherine Peacock who 17 years ago discovered that she has breast cancer and Catherine is the civil defence officer here in Kilkenny and in the programme we discussed the connection between the menopause and breast cancer and vice versa as October is both menopause and cancer awareness month many of our woman to woman show listeners are aware of the last two weeks we have been highlighting the menopause and women's health. We have spoken to uh, Brida Birmingham, Sally Ann from the Irish Menopause and to Ireland's favourite TV and broadcasting personality Lorraine Keane who is Ireland's ambassador to is the brand, sorry, the brand ambassador to Clean Marine and Menemen. We also spoke to Yolanda from uh, Dr. Hauske, uh, the, the brand, the skincare and hair brand who were launching their new hair products and telling us all about their fabulous new new hair products which are suitable for women uh, who are living through the menopause and living with cancer. We also spoke to Kilkenny's very own Linda uh, Murray from uh, Biogum Nutrition about the importance of a good diet through the menopause. We also spoke about the physical health and we spoke to Aidan Stevens from Synergies Pilates about how Pilates helps the physical health through the menopause with a nice gentle but firm exercise because women's health does matter and after all women are at the heart of the families. For the next two weeks we are going to be concentrating and raising awareness of the cancer awareness and I will be chatting uh, to very well known highly respected Kilkenny lady, lady mother, community activist and politician and one of Ireland, uh, one of Kilkenny's three mayors, uh, three female mayors that was in our city and that was Marie Fitzpatrick late, uh, next week. This week, a little later on the programme, I'll be speaking again to Catherine Peacock who is the civil defence officer here in Kilkenny about her journey through the cancer experience. But before that... I'm here with Wana Wana from the Kilkenny Salt Therapy. And the Kilkenny Salt Therapy is also the Woman to Woman Show's sponsor. Wana Wana, you're very welcome back to the Woman to Woman Show. Hi, Roisin. Thank you very much for having me again. Oh, you're more than welcome. And we thank you for being our sponsor as well. Very welcome. Wana, tell me, this week we're talking about COPD. First yes. of all, what is COPD? COPD, or Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease, is a lung disease that makes it hard to breathe, caused by damage to the lungs over many years 
It usually results from smoking, but can also be caused by breathing chemical fumes, dust or air pollution over the time. It gets worse over the time and its damage cannot be undone. COPD is one of the most common respiratory disease in Ireland and it usually affects people over the age of 35. Now, you can take a step to prevent being more damaged and salt therapy can help you with that, of course. So how can salt therapy help anyone living or suffering with COPD? One of the reasons why the salt therapy is so effective for people suffering from COPD is that salt naturally thins out the mucus, which make it easier for the body to dispense with it. Furthermore, salt has various healing properties that ultimately cleans the respiratory system and accelerate the removal of toxins. One of the contributing factors for this is due to the way that salt moves through the system. Dry salt works like bronchial brush for the airways. So as mentioned before, salt also naturally loosens excessive mucus, effectively reducing the frequency of cough. Salt is anti-inflammatory and antibacterial properties, along with the ability to remove pathogens and reduce immune system oversensitivity. So salt kills bacteria, which is a major element of COPD, and the dry, the dry micro particles of salt that are inhaled during the salt therapy sessions reduce inflammation and widening airways. So salt therapy also helps you to shift the mucus and reduce the chance of infection. So most important thing that we have to remember about this is that salt therapy reduces the needs of inhalers, steroids and antibiotics. It makes you breathe easier after just a few sessions, improve the lung function, reduce the number of hospital admissions, alleviate sneezing, cough, shortness of breath, clear mucus and sticky flame from lungs, increase the resistance of respiratory tract disease and straighten your immune system, overall immune system. Did I hear you correctly? When Did you say that salt kills bacteria? Yes, wow. it is antibacterial. Salt is, so that's a very important thing to remember for all the conditions that salt is recommended, the salt therapy is recommended because it has this factor that it kills bacteria and will absorb the humidity in the system, kills bacteria and will eliminate the mucus. So that's kind of how it works for most of the conditions. And that's why years ago, as we spoke about last week, the Romans used to pay the wages, uh, the wages yeah. and they used to wrap, they used to keep the meat fresh and so the, yes. the salt killed all the bacteria in the meat. So yeah, so that's why it will kind of last a little bit longer. So if you cover the salt, the, the meat in salt, you can actually put it on the side for right. longer than because they didn't have like freezers and fridges. So that was a way of conserve. Yes. Or. And so the salt, so again, we're going back to what we, we discussed last week when everybody used to gargle salt and water. Yeah, so salt. salt therapy, when we inhale and breathe in, goes down to our lungs and all through our bronchies. Yes. It kills it's the bacteria. Kind of, it's kind of a two ways so it's like the lower respiratory system which is like the bronchitis you know if you're suffering from asthma or if you're suffering from bronchitis or um, COPD and then it helps you with the upper which is sinus infection so you know just above your kind of your your nose so when you're inhaling or you're doing the steam inhalation with stalls when you're doing a nasal kind of washing or irrigation with water and salt which is the saline solution so it's for both lower and upper Upper respiratory system. And so tell us, like, how many sessions would you recommend for anyone living with, with uh, COPD? So the best salt therapy results for COPD are achieved by including as a part of your lung maintenance program. So we suggest an intense treatment of twice or more times per week to start and just to loosen up the mucus and clear the lung. And as the body responds to the treatment, then we start to dropping down the intensity of the visit. Depending on the age and how bad you're suffering and for how long, we would start with maybe 20 even 30 sessions for long-term results with maybe 
let's just say three, four sessions per week. And then once we notice the results, we drop the intensity. We would tell people just make sure to keep it maybe for two, three months or even more just to kind of see the mm. results. Yeah. And don't expect like an overnight miracle or you nothing know, happens overnight. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to keep consistent. You have like the frequency. It's, I'm keep saying this. It's the same as going to gym. You won't see results if you're going once or if you're going a week and then you say, look, there's no results. I'm not going to go back because there's nothing happened. It's then it's when actually it starts to kind of work. So don't stop after three sessions. And I can certainly guarantee that it does work because I've been going there. I have sort of ceased using my inhaler about 90% since I started going to the Exactly. One of the things that I said just a few seconds is reducing the needs for inhalers, steroids and antibiotics. And people will come back uh, because they're normally saying, look, I have tried everything or I'm sick of antibiotics and I want to try something else. And they do see the results, especially if they have a, a continued problem and they know that during the year they might get two or three colds or three or three infections or something because it's good for throat as well and we're all with this COVID-19 we're all trying to keep our, our immune system good and all germs and viruses yeah, and look, bacteria I'll tell you away. what as soon as I feel because uh, about two weeks ago I kind of felt um, that I'm coming, coming down with a little kind of cold you know the way yeah. that you kind of your muscles mm. kind of feel the pain and then a little bit of dizziness straight away in the salt room <laughs> going home have a bath with salt uh, have the salt air UV our device on plugged in during the night and I'm telling you in two days I was brand new Good. so that's the most important as soon as you see the first signs of anything like if you're suffering with something like asthma or sinus or cold or anything just take it like prevention prevention is better. Yeah. better than any cure yeah yeah. so tell us what home remedies can or products can okay, the so public on avail on our website on kilkennysalttherapy.ie we have loads of products for home kind of solution the main one for bronchitis for COPD will be the salt inhaler which is bronchial inhaler with salt and especially for low respiratory inhalation it's a compact and it's a handhold natural salt inhaler and will alleviate congestion allergy discomfort and other symptoms associated with the lower respiratory condition because you can actually breathe in through your mouth so we have to one it's nasal and that's for sinuses and one it's for mouth and that is for the lower respiratory system and then I am keep saying Zaltair UV we have two, so the big one, and then we have a mini one, and the mini one can actually be used with essential oil. So you can add a drop oh. of essential oil, and we all know, you know, the benefits of some of the essential oils, especially for respiratory condition. So again, on our website, you'll find essential oil as well for like asthma, for different condition, for even for muscles, you know, if you want, or for headaches. So the Saltair UV, it's able to combine the salt therapy and aromatherapy all in one unit. As I said, there are many natural essential oils with curative effects and respiratory problems. So together with the salt aerosol, it will help to speed up the mucus clearance and open the airway. Salt UV can be used in any chronic disease like you no know, asthma, bronchitis, sinus, COPD, as it reduces inflammation, clogs the blockages, cleans the respiratory system and eases the rest breathing. As a preventive method, the device offers protection against allergens, cold and flu by maintaining a good hygiene and strengthening the immune system of the whole respiratory system. So that would be our recommendation, the two products. The 
salt air and DSI it's called which is dry salt inhaler for bronchial the lower respiratory system well Wana Wana from the Kilkenny Salt Therapy and sponsors of the Woman to Woman show thank you so much for coming in thank you Roisin <laughs> keep it safe uh, salty and healthy <laughs> salty and healthy I know we all have to keep in with the Kilkenny Salt Therapy on the Dublin Road just across the road by 50 metres from the St John's Church Thank you, Roisin. See you you next week. See you next week. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. And you're very welcome back to the Woman to Woman show with myself, Roisin de Cleric. I just would like to sort of put it out there that to remind, a gentle reminder to everybody, and it's a very serious gentle reminder, that we are in the second wave and the second lockdown restrictions, and we're all in the 5K restrictions. Can I just remind our listeners that the travel restrictions do not apply to victims of domestic abuse and assistance uh, who are seeking assistance during uh, travels to sort of seek help uh, and to save their lives and to get away from domestic abuse. They are allowed to travel beyond the 5K restrictions. So just a little gentle reminder out there. We are, as I said at the at the beginning of our program. October is Cancer Awareness Month and, you know, we're highlighting the next two weeks of October with the Cancer Awareness and we're telling two stories of two Kilkenny ladies who have lived through uh, the cancer experience and one who is still living through it. And I am here with Catherine Peacock. Many of our listeners will know Catherine was the Development Officer for the PPN and now still a leader within our community, still a Defence Officer for Kilkenny. Catherine, we were talking a couple of weeks ago as October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month and a couple of weeks ago you were talking to myself and Breda Birmingham on the Cancer and Menopause Awareness Month as well. But today you're in to tell us about how and when and where 17 years ago that you found out that you had cancer. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, hi Roisin. Um, No problem. Uh, I was 33 and I actually discovered a lump in my right breast while I was in the shower. Um, It wasn't a big lump, uh, but it was movable um, and it it annoyed me more than anything. So I went to my GP and just mentioned it to her and she said, "Um, look, it's probably a cyst. Um, you're very young for it to be anything else um, but we'll we'll get it checked out and she sent me to a general surgeon who um, he also looked at it and said yeah that's probably a cyst um, and he said we'll leave that we'll just leave it alone um, and maybe come back in a year's time if it's grown too big then we can um, you know have a look at removing it and I actually said, no, um, I'd rather you removed it. And it wasn't because I thought it was something sinister. It was purely because I was playing with it, <laughs> because it was movable. Um, I just kept poking it. And I thought, this is really going to annoy me. So I said, no, I'd, I'd rather have it removed. Um, so he said, okay, well, it's probably just um, something that I can drain. So he then stuck a needle into it and tried to drain it, but it wouldn't drain. Um, so he said, okay, well, look, let's let's remove this surgically. So we made the arrangements to have it removed surgically um, under a local anaesthetic. Um, and that's what happened. I went um, and had it removed. Um, now, on the day I was having um, an ultrasound beforehand just to, to pinpoint its location. Um, and the sonographer actually said to me, um, 
were you told this is a cyst? And I said, yes. And he said, well, it's not, it's a tumour. Um, at which point I was like, oh, what? Um, and he said, look, I'm going to send you for a mammogram first. And the surgeon had actually said that I was too young for a mammogram. So I went along straight away and had the mammogram. Um, and then I was brought in to have it removed, um, you know, coming straight out from having the mammogram, walked into the, the theatre and had it removed. Um, thought nothing really more of it um, and actually went to New York with some friends of mine and um, while I was away um, the Backrock Clinic had been phoning my husband um, urgently looking for me so when I came home my husband had taken the day off work which I thought was really really unusual um, and made me very suspicious um, and you know I contacted my GP and she said well I can't tell you anything but um, you know would you like me to give you a sedative to calm you down at which point I went oh right okay I have cancer then um, and I then had to wait for 24 hours to see the surgeon to get the results. Um, and when he told me, um, you know, he said something like, um, gave me the percentage of people um, with my type of cancer that would still be alive after five years. I actually heard nothing after that. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a very strange time. As I said, I was only 33. I had two young children. My son was four and my daughter was... Um, uh, 13 months old um, so you know I I thought well you know I, I have to face this head on because I'm young I have young children um, and they need me so I just need to to find out you know where we go from here and who I see and what we do and that's what we did um, and I ended up having my um, the rest of the lump removed and a clearance um, in um Tala Hospital and then I was sent for um, some further investigation as to see whether it had spread anywhere um, into my lymph nodes and it had so then I had a further um, operation to remove my lymph nodes and then I was sent for radiation and chemotherapy so I had my chemotherapy in Waterford Hospital and my radiation in Cork Hospital so it was a trip around the, around the country for the hospitals really and Catherine, how did you cope mentally and emotionally at this time with, from finding out that it wasn't assessed for the sonographer, getting the ultrasound, and getting the result when, you, when, the, when the doctor said to you, do you want to see it? Well, as I said, like, I, I, um, I kind of put it to the back of my mind once I'd had it removed because I was going to New York with some friends of mine and um, and I literally went two days later. I actually ended up with an infection in New York <laughs> in the, the wound. Um, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel like I had to cope with anything then. It was just, you know, don't think about it and, you know, it, it'll all be fine. Um, but obviously when I got home, that 24 hours um, was was actually, you know, that was a difficult, that was a difficult 24 hours because I knew that I had cancer, but no one had actually told me I had cancer. Um, I think what was more difficult was that 24 hours after I'd found out because that's the time that you have to tell your friends and your family. And that's really difficult. Um, I phoned my sister and I'd be very close to my sister and, and I just said to her, look, I cannot tell mum. Um, can you do that for me? And she did. Because I, I just was trying to deal with my own reaction and I didn't want to have to deal with anybody else's reaction. 
Um, likewise, I phoned one of my friends, um, told her and asked her to tell my other friends. And that was fine. Then once I knew that they all knew, that was it. We could, you know, we could talk openly about it. I didn't have to go through the the emotions or their emotions. Um, you know, they, they'd had their shock. They had time to prepare to talk to me. And that was fine. And then we just got on with it from there. And, you know, what was the healing time like from having the surgery and going through sort of telling the chemo and the radiation? Um, the surgeries, well, I had quite a few surgeries because obviously the first one was done under the local anaesthetic and that wound was reopened um, under general anaesthetic. Um, and then I had another general anaesthetic to remove the lymph nodes very very quickly after that one so I was actually really sick um, and it was probably more from the general anaesthetics than anything um, so yeah I, I just yeah I just felt really really rough for uh, probably a short period of time um, and obviously I had to have a, a drain put in as well into my back um, I remember that coming out. That was one of the worst moments because my my skin had attached to it and my muscles started to grow around it and they just yank it out, which is really horrible. Um, but, you know, like, they're momentary things, aren't they? You get over them um, and you get past them. Um, the There wasn't too long a period between my surgery and starting my chemotherapy. And the chemotherapy... It is difficult. There's, there's no point in saying it's not. <clears throat> I remember after my first one, I was, I was actually hyper, um, because you're you're given a lot of steroids in the build up to chemotherapy, and I was awake morning, noon, and night. I would walk the floors of my house at three, four, five in the morning. I remember being out doing gardening at five o'clock in the morning, and I think this is crazy, but I was buzzing, um. And then when I came to my second chemotherapy, which was only two weeks later, at the time um, it was it was normal to have chemo with three week intervals. But because I was so young and the cancer was quite aggressive, they um, they they said they'd trial uh, two weeks um, between each chemotherapy session. So two weeks later, I had that chemotherapy session, um, believing I was going to be on another high, and I crashed. I really went to a dark place. Um, and when people say that they're suffering from depression and they're in a black hole, I can honestly say that for a small amount of time, I got a glimmer of, of what hell they must go through. Um, and it is literally like climbing into a black hole. And that was awful. Thankfully, it, it lasted days, maybe a week um, but it was a horrible place to be. So I, I have much empathy for, for people that, you know, have, have depression. Um, every two weeks, as I said, I got my chemo. There was some weeks that I couldn't have it because my blood count was too low. Um, and that was, God, that was so disappointing because you build yourself up for it. And I had a calendar in my, my kitchen um, where I had all of the dates down and... I, you know, the end date. And it was just like, you know, the way they ring the bells now in America when they're end of their cancer treatment. It was like, there's my bell ringing day. And when something gets delayed, that pushes that all out. And that was so disappointing. Um, yeah, it's something that, that has really stuck with me. Um, there's 
two types of chemo that I had. The first one is the one that, you know, I suppose people most common with uh, common knowledge of and that's the one that makes everybody feel like they're sick all the time I actually only vomited once through the whole thing but I felt sick every moment so it's it was very much like my early stage pregnancies where you just feel sick and nothing tastes nice and you keep trying to eat different foods and nothing but it's just nothing was nice um, so that those were there was four sessions of that one and then the second type of chemo that I had that affected my joints and I could not walk up my stairs I I genuinely will never forget having to get upstairs because I had to go on my hands and knees and stop twice to get to the top each time I went up the stairs and when I was in the hospital having this chemo um, you know I was obviously surrounded by other people that were having the same one and some of them were in wheelchairs and some of them were on with walking sticks and crutches and they were all around my age and it just it inflamed all of your joints the pain was horrendous um, but again like it, it, it was you know eight weeks it was a short period of time so it goes so whatever treatment you're faced with it will end you know you know they're short periods um and then i had maybe I don't know, a month i think before they started my radiotherapy and that's very different um you know there's no actual physical pain attached to radiotherapy because it's it's obviously you know, a, a pinpointed laser. So you have tattoos put on your body. My first ever tattoos were little dots for my radiotherapy. Um, so they, they actually measure you and pinpoint where the laser is to go. So it's very specific on the treatment. Um, and that that burnt. Now, I'm, I'm quite sallow um, and I, I tan very, very easily. And it even burnt me. So by the end of the treatment, like I had, my right breast was so much darker than the rest of my body um, and it was very tender to touch. So I, I can imagine if you're light, very light skinned that, you know, it, it, it actually be, ends up becoming painful because you do get burnt. But, you know, I suppose it's, it's kind of like a, a bad sunburn, really. Um, and then you have to stay out of the sun as well because you know you're, you become very very sensitive to the sun for quite a long time afterwards um that was fine i was very tired very very tired actually that's that's the one thing about radiotherapy it makes you extremely exhausted um and that went on for 10 weeks so every second day i had to drive to cork or someone in my family had to drive me to cork um and the treatment is actually very very quick you know you're you're in and out in 20 minutes um, and then I remember walking out of the hospital on my last day of my treatment and it was my uncle that had brought me and he insisted I was very close to my uncle and he'd insisted that you know he would bring me as much as he possibly could um, and uh, yeah we walked out together and I just looked at him and went well that's it then I'm done I was like okay let's go home <laughs> You know, and it was just like sort of surreal. I thought there'd be some sort of fanfare, or everybody should know this is my last day. But there, was, it, there wasn't. It was just like, okay, that's it. There was no bell ringing. No, like in no America. bell ringing. No, 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 none at all. Um, yeah, but it was 
it was also a very good feeling. And then my, my family had a little party for me at home as well when it was all over. So that was lovely. Um, yeah, and I got some lovely presents. My my cousin and my sister were very, very good <laughs> about their presents. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it, all in all, it was about a year long, a year a, a year's year treatment. Long. But it's it's not it's not a year long treatment, not really, because um, you know so much more has come from that. Now, not to scare people about cancer, because I'd be the first person to say, if you have cancer, you know what, you'll get through this. Just Go and do what needs to be done and never give into it. Absolutely never give into it. I couldn't give into it. I had two small children at home. And you didn't you know? give into it, Catherine, because no. I knew you around that time. I knew you before you had cancer and during the time you had cancer. But you were so upbeat, you were so positive. So even though the the hell that you were going in behind closed doors at home, you still kept a positive front on outside. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I, I would probably have kept a, a very positive front um, at home as well. That's just who I am, though. You know, um, I my head inside can be saying one thing, but my face will tell you something completely different. And I, I think I think that's what gets you through in generally in life is just to say, well, look, what can I do about this right now? If I can't do anything with it, let's go with it. Um, if I can do something positive first, let's do that. But one way or another, you ha- you have to go through it. You know, the treatment is there. You know, some people maybe opt not to have treatment. That's not something I'd encourage. Um, you know, if you're going to have your treatment, then then try and make the bo- most of it. Try and help yourself through it. Um, you know, my children were, were so young that I needed not to scare them. I needed to be positive you need for to be them. Strong for your yeah, children. Yeah, absolutely. My son, he he really did kind of understand at the time. My daughter didn't. I mean, she was only a little toddler. Um, I actually finished my treatment on her second birthday. Um, so yeah, it was. You know, Ben would come and he'd sit and hold my hand and rub my bald head and <laughs> um, you know and 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 cover me in kisses and tell me that I was going to be okay and then. I do the same back to him and, you know, tell him, yeah, of course I'm going to be okay. And that's one thing I never, ever thought I was going to die. I never did. Now, I've asked my family since and a lot of them thought I was going to die. Well, Catherine, we have to go for a short commercial break. But when we come back, I want to ask you that specifically. How did your family react and feel towards you having cancer? Because Mm. that's something that you have to deal with and your family have to deal with. And that's really important as well. So stay tuned. We were still talking to Catherine Peacock, the civil defence officer for here, here in Kilkenny, about her life living with cancer 17 years ago and post-cancer. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're very welcome back to the Woman to Woman show here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City. I am talking to Catherine Peacock, the civil defence officer here in Kilkenny. And Catherine has survived cancer for the last 17 years. And Catherine is telling us all about her life of when she discovered cancer, how she discovered it, and the effects that the cancer had on Catherine. You know, this October is Cancer Awareness Month. And I think Catherine has always been such a positive, upbeat leader. Catherine, 
tell us now, how did your family react to you being, having cancer? Mm. And, how did they re- and how did you react to your family's reaction? Okay, so my husband um, is a very soft person. Um, he may not seem it on the outside, but I always think of him like as a, um, a smarty, <laughs> that hard <laughs> shell and, and very soft on the inside. And I knew that was going to have a, a really devastating effect on him. And it did. I mean, he did not want to let me out of his sight, which actually became very annoying. Um, my mom is um, very close. You know, we're, we're all very close. Um, and again, my mother is the type of person that likes to take over as well. Um you know, she was devastated by it as well. Um, and I found that I was trying to be strong for them an awful lot of the time. Um, my older sister, she's probably the only person through the whole treatment that was kind of very, she's very honest um, and was honest with me, you know, about her feelings and about how I looked and everything. You know, I wanted honesty. I actually wanted honesty. Um, I remember her saying to me once after I'd taken lots of steroids, she said, oh my God, you look like a football. And I did look like a football. (laughs) I was so blown up. But I was delighted that she said it because I knew I looked like a football. And everyone else was telling me I looked lovely. I didn't look lovely. You know, I knew it. It was for a short period of time, but I did not look lovely. And she was honest enough to say, yeah, you look like a football. Um, So... Well, she she coped really well um, and was really supportive to me. You know, everybody around me was so supportive. But I really found that oh, I I almost I almost needed to split my time between you know my mom and my husband because they both wanted to care for me so much, um, and and that yeah, that that was difficult because I knew they were both coming from the right place. But sometimes you just want to say, back off and, you know, leave me be, leave me have some peace, stop looking after me, I'm not an invalid, I can do this for myself, you know, um, and and people need to be encouraged to help themselves because you can become very dependent on somebody else doing things for you. Um, so, yeah, that I found that difficult. And Catherine, we were talking the other day after our camp programme with Breda Birmingham, we were talking about menopause and cancer Mm -hmm. awareness month for October, and you were telling me about what a lot of people don't talk about is the physical effects of cancer and post-cancer. Yeah, so um, I wasn't told about any of this, and and I I don't know if people ever are, Um, but you know, I was 33, I'd had all this surgery um, I was left with, um, now I'm not saying that I don't have uh, a, an actual active and full life now you know, so please don't think that if you have cancer that you're going to be left with devastating effects, but there are things that people don't talk about, um, you know, one would be that it's the range of motion in my, my right arm um, can very often be restricted and that was through all the surgeries Um they cut an awful lot of uh, smaller nerves. So if I get an itch, say, at the front of my arm, I actually have to scratch somewhere in my back. Um, You know, silly things like that. Um, I also bruise so easily. I never bruised. I now, if you can touch me, I will bruise. That's happened since I had chemotherapy. Um, I've, you know, your dry eyes, like... I have to put drops in my eyes to keep them moist. So you, you'd completely dry up 
um, you know, I had to go on and have um, my womb removed because I was, um, my, my cancer was hormone fed. So I went into the menopause, you know, that brought so many problems. Um, but but I was, you know, I was never told about these things. The only thing that actually someone ever said to me was, oh, you'll probably get osteoporosis now because you're, you know, you've gone into menopause so young. And I'm like, yeah, great, thanks a million. Um, you know, here's some more tablets for that. You know, I think I think we should be very open about people. Yes, you're having, I mean, at the end of the day, these treatments are poisons in themselves to try and kill something that's killing you, you know, within your body. Um, and to think that you're, you're not going to have some lasting effect of that, I think would be very optimistic. Um, so, yeah, I've been left with lots of little things that I didn't know I would be left with. Um, and I think people should be very open about that. You know, I'm sure different treatments have affected people in different ways. They're just some of the ways that I was affected by it. And that's something that, as you said, nobody talked about. Mm. And there's something I never... You know, when you're talking to somebody who's survived cancer, going through cancer, you think, oh, they're good now, they're well mm. now, the health is back on track. But then yeah. everlasting small little effects do yeah, add up. absolutely. Um, and then you have the other thing, the survivor's guilt. Oh, my right. gosh. <laughs> that's... Um, so, you know, I went through this treatment and, and a lot of young women and, and older women were around me having the treatment at the same time. Some of those um, lived local to me um, and they didn't survive. And, you know, I, I can think of off the top of my head three other women in my small locality that had it at the same time that, that died. And I had this overwhelming guilt of why did I survive and they didn't and I can remember a, a mother saying to me um, when she buried her daughter who was younger than me um, a few years after I had had cancer oh you were the lucky one and I felt so guilty and I don't think she meant it in a, in a bad way but there she was burying her daughter and I was alive. And so you don't complain. People say to you, oh, you look so well. Oh, my God. Thank God you're well and you're, you're, you're better now. Um, I would say to people, don't, you know, don't assume people are better, you know, because physically they may be. Um, there are lasting effects and there are a lot of mental effects. And that survivor's guilt is a real issue. My brother died of um, cancer two years ago and he was 41. And I went through the survivor's guilt all over again. There was my mother that had two children that had cancer. I lived and he died. And I can honestly tell you that I went through some terrible, terrible guilt. He left behind four small children. Um, and... Yeah, it's taken me, it took me a, a, a lot of talking to people to actually stop f feeling so guilty that I was the one that, that survived out of the two of us. And that must be really a lot of soul searching there, mm. Catherine, and a lot of really maybe going into yourself and thinking about that privately without saying that to uh, anybody. Absolutely. Absolutely, but I did. I did discuss it with my mother as well, and you know, and 
because I I felt I don't know I felt guilty. And I guilt is a useless emotion yeah, when you think about it. But it it's is. easier said than done. Yeah, it is. But it but it, it is honestly something that, that that happens, and I am definitely not the only person that feels this. Um, so, you know, as I said, like it is great to see people get through their treatment and for their bodies to heal but do not just assume that they are all better now the majority of people that have cancer treatments actually it's a year later that they probably need your support more what you're telling us is very core and it's very raw but a lot of it's an issue that a lot of people don't talk about they keep saying oh i'm fine i'm fine mm. i'm doing well they're putting their face mm-hmm. on they keep putting the positivity out there you were also working and training and studying at the same time mm-hmm. yep yep i've i've always i've always worked um I, I was training at the, at the time as well um i kept it all going as much as i possibly could um for me to getting through anything i need to be busy um so this idea of you know people saying to you oh, sit down relax i'll do that for you it goes back to what i said earlier you know sometimes people actually just want to get up and get on with things and let them let them because you you need to feel like you're doing something not that you're a victim mm. it's so easy to make someone into a victim mm. um some people may choose to be victims and that's fine that's how they deal with it but I chose not to be and you were also on television and you had your hair shaved <laughs> off live on television so tell us about that um, yeah so while, while I was coming back from the second surgery in, in Dublin um, so I took part in um, in a documentary called The Health Squad so it was a TV series um, and I contacted them and said look I'm, I'm about to have um chemotherapy followed by radiotherapy um, I'm young young family had breast cancer just had my surgery and I assumed I knew what chemotherapy and radiotherapy were but actually now that I'm faced with it I don't really know what it's involved so if you want the opportunity to show people what they are you're very welcome to follow my treatment and they jumped at the chance and they, they did they followed my, my chemotherapy Um as you said, I had my head shaved on, on television um, because it started to fall out very early on. In fact, the day before my um, my second chemo was due, it started to come out in massive clumps um, in the shower. Um, it was all of my bed, my pillow, um, and then just, yeah, I just run my hand through my hair and my hand was full of hair. And I thought, no way am I living like this. No way. This is coming off now. So I... I rang them up and I said, look, my hair is falling out and I'm getting rid of it today. Um, and if you want, you can film that. Um, because for me, losing my hair was probably the biggest issue that I had, that I was faced with as a woman. Um, and I was terrified. And so they said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. And they came and my sister-in-law um, shaved it for me. And it was a very emotional thing to do. Extremely emotional. I cried watching it. Oh, my poor sister-in-law was crying doing it. I felt so bad that I got her to do it in the end. But glad at the same time that it was her because I love her. Um, 
but as soon as it was done I actually felt so liberated I can honestly say being bald is you know it's all right it really is yeah I felt okay you look gorgeous oh thank you yeah well look as a woman it's very very difficult to lose your hair and that was my one big fear but um, yeah it turned out okay and I, I, I got on with it and I went straight outside and thought I'm going to walk straight outside and let people see what I'm like so th- the fear then will be gone and it, it was fine it really was fine and then you yeah. swam with dolphins in the I, next one. <laughs> I did, I did. I am um, well. The second program, they um, they followed my radiotherapy, um, and then they wanted to end on a high, um, and they wanted to let me do something that I really wanted to do and <laughs> go back to the old cliche. I, I really wanted to swim with dolphins, and we did that, and it was great. Um, yeah. So look, I mean, as I said, the treatment took about a year, but it was what I want to say to people is several things. One to the women don't ignore your bodies if you see something you're not happy with it go and get it checked out and you know your body better than anybody so don't you know don't be fobbed off either um two if you do have to go through this and you do have to go through treatments you know you 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 can you will get there take it in small chunks that's what i did just look at each little part on its own and get to the end of that bit um and three, so to the people that are supporting them, support them, but also give them some space. Um, and remember, like the most important thing is, when somebody finishes their treatment, that can be the beginning, really, of them dealing with it. Um, you know, when you're going through it, you're surrounded by people, you're surrounded by appointments and treatments, and it's 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 constant and it's it's full of of people and things, and then your treatment ends. And nothing happens and everybody kind of goes back to normal life and the appointments, you know, they slow down or, you know, and that's when you start to think, did this really happen? And that's when people really do need your support. That's when they can go into that darker place. Um, You know, just remember, because they look good on the outside, it doesn't mean that, that they're feeling okay. So afterwards, is where give people your support during, but give people space. Yes. And also, it's afterwards, it's when they have got the all clear, it's maybe then that might sort of start sort Absolutely. Of affecting you, the person. Absolutely. That's when it starts to sink in. You know, this is what's just happened to me. Um, and you can become overwhelmed with that. So I would definitely say, you know, do not stop supporting somebody because the treatment is over the 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 actual the, the cliched word that people use the journey for that person may really only be beginning and that's the acceptance of what's happened to them and the poison being in your body yeah i, I think more it's the, the the mental the more mental acceptance of i've just had cancer and i've just gone through this and wow you know and the survivor's guilt all of those emotions start to flood in then. People really do need your support then, you know, and, and to talk then. And, and not to be told yeah. that you're okay, yeah. you know. And 17 years later, Catherine, it must be something wonderful, that you an achievement, and you, where you probably get up every morning and say, wow, today's a beautiful day. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> I got up this morning and said, oh, can I go back to bed? Um, no, but you you do you you are more grateful for life. Um, 
that does wear off too, <laughs> you know. You know, the first few years, I think I was, I was definitely one of those people that nothing's ever going to bother me again. Oh, that all wears off, and reality comes back. Um, but no, I, I think you definitely you do change as a person. There's no doubt about that, and change for the positive, without a shadow of doubt. Um, but you know, life takes over again, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's. It's you know I, I I forget most of the time that I had cancer to be honest. Um, sometimes when people say, "Oh, it's lovely to see you," and how are you? And you know there's that inclination there in their 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 voice, and mm-hmm. and you think, "What are they talking about?" And then you go, "Oh, right, okay, yeah, they haven't seen me for a long time." Um, and you have to remember that, "Oh yeah, I had cancer," you know, and that's that's my other message. You know, y- you do get over it, and you do get on. Well, Catherine Peacock, uh, even back in 2003, I said you were an inspiration to me back then, and you still are, 17 years later in 2020, one of the most inspirational women that I know. Thank you, Roshi. Catherine Peacock, Civil Defence Officer here in Kilkenny, thank you so much for taking the time to come into the Woman to Woman show here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, and share that, them experiences with us, because it was very raw, and it was very true. So thank you so much indeed, because I know you will. I know people listening to you today, you will help and inspire more and more and many, many other women, as well as men and children out there. Thank you. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, perhaps this could help for even one person, you know, to know that, that they're no different, you know, um, but their feeling is normal. So thank you so much for having me. And that was Catherine Peacock, a very, very, very inspirational Kilkenny woman. You're very welcome back to the Woman to Woman show. Um, that was, a, Catherine is a very inspirational woman. And next week I'll be talking to Kilkenny's uh, former mayor, Mary Fitzpatrick, and uh, one an inspirational Mary is as well. So I'll be talking to Mary Fitzpatrick next week. We've had a text in from Jessica Lan- uh, Lanigan asking if she, you can ha- avail of salt therapy when you are on blood pr- uh, pressure medication. Yes is the answer to that. I've checked with Wana Wana as long as your blood pressure is maintained. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, do stay tuned for Declan Givens. But to go out, I'm going to go out with a bit of the music from Photographs for all the families and friends and loved ones who didn't survive breast cancer. When I look at these photographs We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.